Last week we spoke about the subject of forgiveness, and we spoke about uh, how forgiveness happens and how God has forgiven us through the death, burial, through the death, the blood, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that now we have forgiveness of sins, and that forgiveness, in all the things that we said last week, that forgiveness is not based on anything that we could have ever done ourselves, but it was based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. The the following topic, the following subject that I'd like to just look at um, today with you this morning is the healing that comes after we've been forgiven and the understanding of that forgiveness that brings healing in our life. I think that there are a lot of people that are in this world today that do not have the understanding that they can be healed, they may know the theology of forgiveness. I think there's a lot of churches out there that talk about forgiveness and the theology of forgiveness, but maybe do not have the practical understanding of what does forgiveness mean in my life personally. Because we are a living soul. And when you talk to a person, by the way, you're not talking to only a physical body. You're talking to a soul. And when you marry someone, you're marrying a soul. That body is going to change. It's going to grow older. It's going to get sick. It's going to go through changes and transitions and could even maybe die. But when we get married, we're really marrying a soul. And when we marry someone, we really want to know what is in their soul. And we are, as people... Um, a living soul. That's what the Bible describes us. God describes us in the book of Genesis that we are a living soul. And really that means that the condition of your soul and my soul is going to impact everything in my physical life. All of my physical relationships, all of my physical endeavors, my job, my relationships, my health. And That is why our soul is so important. That's why in our church here in Greater Grace, we talk a lot about our soul. And not only our soul, but the power of the Holy Spirit to quicken our soul. This morning I got up and I was just tired from the day before, you know, and it was a good tired. I felt good. I don't know how you guys felt, but I went home and I just felt so good that we had worked hard and we had such a fruitful day. And this... My prayer in the morning was, God, quicken me, quicken my soul. My soul cleaves to the dust. It cleaves to the earth, and I just want to, my soul cleaves to my pillow right now. And I prayed that prayer, and God quickened me a a little while later about this thought that I want to speak on this morning, and that is on the subject of guilt, guiltiness or feeling guilty. There's forgiveness, and you know, when you look at someone that is not even maybe a Christian or a believer, we have to understand that their sins are also forgiven. When Jesus died for the sins of the whole world on the cross, he didn't only die for the sins of those people that were going to believe on him, but he also died for the sins of other people. He died for the sins of people that are in jail today, people that are, have been murderers. He died for the sins of all. The only thing is, is that many people, and maybe even some of us here in the room today, may not even know that what that forgiveness means to us on a practical level and how does that impact my life today as a Christian. 
And first of all, I just want to describe what is guilt. And really the world's or the secular description of guilt is really, and just bear with me on this um, definition, uh, guilt is a cognitive or an emotional experience. And I just want to stop there. That guilt, when we talk about guilt, we're speaking predominantly about emotion and feeling. And I'm going to explain that a little while and what that means. Guilt is a cognitive or an emotional experience that occurs when a person realizes or believes, whether it's accurate or not, that he or she has compromised his own standards or their own values. Or they violated a moral standard that bears significant responsibility for that violation. It is closely related to the concept of remorse. And remorse is a word that we use to describe that, that um, destructive feeling that can happen after someone has sinned or has done something that has either um, broken their own personal con- standard of conduct or standards or someone else's or a civil. And so guilt is something that when we talk about guilt, today we live in a world that is medicated mostly because of the inability to deal with guilt. Uh, a lot of, because the world system here, the system, the, 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 the system that we live in, that we live in uh, has a devil behind it and he's hidden. He's like the guy in the Wizard of Oz, that guy, that little guy that's behind the curtain that's running the big voice and, you know, the booming voice, that scary, intimidating voice that you hear. And that's what the devil is. And when we actually, in the, uh, when we are in heaven at that moment, when God actually reveals to the nations who the devil really is, the nations are, everyone in the nations are going to say, is this the man that deceived the whole world? Meaning that when we actually see the devil face to face, in the judgment, when God judges the devil in the end, at the, you know, when he casts the devil and the Antichrist into the lake of fire. We're going to look at the devil and we're going to say, what is that? <laughs> He's like, that's the guy right there? And we're going to be so surprised. But the devil who stands behind the world system is controlling the world system and does not want people, you and I, to discover how to really deal with guilt. Now, Guilt is a big business. It's a very lucrative business. People can capitalize on it. Religion can capitalize on it. And religion has capitalized on guilt on a worldwide scale. And uh, you have the religious police, the religious mafia. You have the religious system, which is very, very powerful because every person that's ever born lives with a measure of guilt because we're born in Psalm 51 in sin. We're just born in sin. Whether you sin or not, you and I are born with sin in our DNA. We're we're fallen. Our DNA is defective. And there's no cloning or genetic manipulation that can be done to purge that fallen nature out of our DNA. It's just part of us. Psalm 51, David says about himself, I was born speaking lies. He was born a sinner. And so we really understand human depravity or we understand that Every one of us has fallen. And so we're dealing with many times with something in our life that, that can't be dealt with outside of the finished work. And I want to get to that in a minute. And so 
if a person experiences guilt, if we live in guilt, then we can be manipulated. Uh, classic example. How many of you have ever seen those, those scenarios where, uh, you know, a strange man calls up a businessman and says, I, I got some information and you're going to want to see it. They meet at some random cafe and the, this mafia guy slides over a manila envelope to, the, to this businessman or this politician and he opens it up and there's a picture of him doing something. <laughs> and he hides it quickly in the manila envelope and he goes, what do you want? How much do you want? <laughs> because people that are guilty can be manipulated, right? And that's the way the devil thinks about you and I, that we can be manipulated if we live in guilt. So what is really God's answer to guilt? Well, the answer is not medication. You know, people that live in guilt are going to, when we live in guilt and not in God's uh, provision for guilt, then... uh, there are going to be different ways that the world wants to provide an answer to that. And when it's not really dealt with at the base, then what could happen is, is that we could live in a downward trend of just wounding and brokenness into a place of, of just destruction. And so, first of all, I just want to, de- I want to define, and you know, there's, there's a lot of disorders that can happen in a person's life just because of unresolved guilt. Unresolved guilt can actually be in a Christian's life that can actually bring into them a motivation or make them a very driven person. And so there's two really types of guilt, and there's what we call legitimate guilt. But we don't call it, as Christians, we don't really call it legitimate guilt because we would call that conviction from the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and convicts the spirit of a man, convicts us in the inner man, the conviction of God is not condemnation. Conviction and condemnation are two different things. Conviction is something that is the voice of love and value that we hear in our life, that God says to you and I, you are valuable, uh, I love you, um, <clears throat> and this is a dangerous place in your, that you are in your life. Wake up. That's, and then when we can hear that through the Word, that's the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word that convicts us. Condemnation is when we hear that, hear that voice, okay, something is wrong in my life, but there's no solutions and there's only that road of just being beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. And there's no conversion. So what we, the first type of guilt, or actually we call it conviction, is something that is not emotional. Because guilt is emotional. I know this is a little psychological today, but just follow me here. I, I'm going to get to the uh, meat of the matter in a second. Guilt is primarily emotional, and it's some, a feeling that people feel that can act, easily uh, drive people. And illegitimate guilt is, is something that illegitimate means it's a feeling that we continue to live under when that sin has already been dealt with. Now, your sin, and we talked about this last week, our sin has been crucified on the cross 2,000 years ago. We talked about that last week. Sin has been dealt with. And I think a lot of times our conversations with God are about things that have already been dealt with. And God is, we're talking to God about things, and God's saying, I, okay, we can talk about this again, but it's already been dealt with. 
I dealt with your sin 2,000 years ago. I dealt with your future sin 2,000 years ago. A lot of people are overthinking and living in regret about things that God has dealt with 2,000 years ago. And God is like not wanting to meet us there. God doesn't want to meet you and I only at those times when we feel this emotional guilt. And this is really illegitimate guilt. This is when a person holds over someone else or we hold over ourselves uh, this feeling of guilt when it's already been dealt with, when something's already been resolved by God 2,000 years ago. And that means that if you and I sin, we have an advocate, 1 John 1, 9. We can go to God and confess our sin and say, God, I have sinned. And that's really all that confession is. Confession is not beating ourselves up emotionally. It's not Confession is not promising ourselves that we're never going to do that again. Because the Bible doesn't say that. That is not confession of sin. Confession of sin is not like, okay, God, I'm so sorry about that. I promise never to do that again. Our promises do, do not bring proper propitiation to God, meaning our promises not to sin is not what God is looking for. It's not what satisfies God. What satisfies God? Satisfaction for God is looking at Jesus Christ, his blood, his sacrifice, and his offering. That's what satisfies God today for us. That's what's satisfactory towards God. And I think that that could be misunderstood by people saying, okay, well, what you're saying is now I can live the way I want to live. But that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that when we understand that God only sees Christ in us, that motivates us into, through the life of grace and the Holy Spirit, to live a life of purpose. And we were going to talk about that today, but I want to just change this a little bit and just focus on this subject of this of of the of this um, subject of guilt. So, what is guilt, and how does it come into a person's life? Well, there's three ways that a person. There's three reasons why a person may experience the sense of guilt in their life. Number one, um, violating our own expectations. Or standards. Have you ever had a standard or an expectation on yourself that God never put there? We live under a lot of those expectations, and we live under a lot of those standards that were never really ever from God. I mean, God gave Ten Commandments, and those Ten Commandments, by the way, were not, they were already written in the human psyche before when God created man. And that's what the book of Romans talks about, that the Gentiles, having not the law, are actually a law unto themselves. When, when you and I were born, even before we knew the law of God, we already had it written inside of us. And that's why we experience guilt is when we did something wrong. It's called a conscience. And this conscience really is a place of standards. And the first reason, the first way that we can experience, we feel guilt is when we fail our own expectations. And this is incorrect because... God is, we are, more, uh, we are more religious than even God is. We place standards on our lives that God has not even placed there. Uh, that's the first thing that we do. You know, uh, you and I can grow up with these standards, and you know, um, that are really not from God. For example, we could be the type of person that is a high achiever. I want to be a high achiever. And that can be really secretly sometimes driven by guilt because the, you know, when you look at high achievers, very highly achieving people that are successful, that 
you know, may, sometimes it could be driven by a sense of guilt and a sense of lack of value, that they don't value themselves. Why? Because of guilt. It's deep-set guilt. And, you know, because we're a living soul, like I said at the beginning, we are very deep people, and that Christianity needs to go very deep. The Bible needs to go very deep into our lives. Chad said this yesterday at the, uh, in his little testimony he was sharing, is that, that let the Bible transform you. Receive the Bible and let it transform you. So that's the first way that, that's really the first way when we violate our own expectations. Number two, when we violate someone else's standards or expectations from us. For example, maybe some of us grew up in a Christian family and our parents really installed or instilled some pretty high standards for us as Christians, you know, and we grow up with these standards and we become a young person, we may 13, 14, 15 years old, and we discover that I'm, you know, I'm a teenager and I'm really not a great person. I have an old nature and I'm really starting to discover my own self-will, my own self-determination. And that's why, and then at that point, we begin to rebel against our standards of our parents or from that, the church that we grew up in. And that's why a lot of 16-year-olds leave churches in America today, that when they hit the age of 16, that's the most important moments. We were talking about this last night with the Post, that 16 years old is a very important age 16 and 17, those are just very key ages, and that's when we got to really focus on really investing in, in young people and let them understand that, you know, you're going to fail as a teenager, but whether you fail your own expectations or expectations from other people, God loves you, and he has a plan for you that's not based on your performance. And so guilt can be something that we feel because we failed other people's expectations. And I think we've all felt that way. And that's where manipulation can come. And then the last feeling, the last reason why that guilt can come in is, and this is really in John chapter 1, verse 8, this is because we have a moral conscience. Because we've broken the moral law, we've broken God's law. And this is something that, I like how James puts it in James 2, verse 10. Whosoever shall keep the whole law but offend in one point has what? Is guilty of all. <laughs> it's just like I love bottom line theology. That's a bottom line right there. We could keep the whole law, you know, keep nine of the Ten Commandments, but if we offend in one, one of the Ten Commandments, we've, we've broken the whole law, haven't we? Maybe I haven't robbed a bank, but if I kill somebody, I've broken the whole law and I'm going to jail, you know? So the Bible here says that really we, we start, our starting point as a human being is we're in guilt. We are, we are guilty. And this is really deep-setted in people's minds. And it really is going to take us our entire lifetime for us to really truly understand in the depths of our, of our soul the power of guilt and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to just get to this point here that now that we've established and understood that the whole world is guilty and that all of us really, no matter how well we can be, are going to be guilty of something. Now that we've established that, now we can establish the second thing is, is that God is compassionate and loves. And because of love and compassion, he sent Jesus Christ into the world for us. 
If we don't allow God to resolve unresolved guilt in our soul, then there's a process, and I was thinking about this this morning, it's a six-step process, and I, I'm going to wrap this up in just a couple minutes. If we don't allow God to resolve guilt inside of us, there's six things that are going to happen. Number one, we're going to get wounded. You know, a person that lives in, in illegitimate guilt or lives in unresolved guilt is going to get wounded. That's going to wound them. That's why when a child fails, the first thing that that child needs to know is that they are loved and that they're accepted and that nothing's changed in the relationship. And kids are in that learning those basic primitive things that they're learning. They're learning the, uh, at a certain age, they start learning about consequences and, you know, does daddy and mommy still love me if I fail? And that's why it's so important that we understand that, that you know, Guilt, if it's not resolved, number one, it just wounds. It wounds us, doesn't it? It wounds us. And we actually, I think there are many people in the world today that are wounded because of guilt. Number two, the second step is isolation. If we don't, and by the way, these are not steps that, these are not really things that I've come up with. There's a great booklet by Pastor Stevens on this subject called Cosmic Loneliness. And I think it's just such a great book. It's, it really deals with the root of a lot of psychological problems. But the second step of unresolved guilt in our life is just first wounding and then second step, isolation. You know, we just feel isolated, right? You ever feel guilty and you're wounded and you're just like, it's like, oh man, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be with all those holy people. Because, you know, when we're living under guilt, we exaggerate everything, don't we? <laughs> when you feel guilty, you're just exaggerating how holy everybody else is and how bad you are. That's what we do, you know, we just live in this state of exaggeration and blowing everything out of measure. That's just the very thing that we need, you know, it's the very thing we need. We can't, don't live, don't isolate yourself, you know. When we live in unresolved guilt, first we just get wounded and then we just isolate ourselves. We just, I want to be alone, I want to be a hermit that lives in the mountains of Montana, you know, grow a long beard. Don't do that. Number three, that leads to depression. Don't move to Montana and grow a long beard, okay? It's, if you remember anything from this message, just remember that. Number three is depression. You know, we get wounded, we get isolated, and then we just get depressed, you know? Number four, then we, become, then we experience loneliness. Loneliness is this, and, and it, uh, Pastor Stevens in his booklet calls it cosmic loneliness, and that means just, it's just like a satanic loneliness. I was talking to someone recently and they were just talking about just a family complicated family situation that they found themselves in and they're living in great measures of regret i said regret is not thinking with god don't live in regret regret uh regret is just and it is is just what we could call emotional irresponsibility when we're living in our emotions and we're just refusing to deal with the situation at hand and so we can become lonely and isolated. Number five, that creates a void. That just creates a vacuum in the soul, doesn't it? We just get lonely and we get separated. It says actually in the book of Ephesians, it talks about being alienated from the life of God. And that really, that alienation from the life of God is, um, produces a void. And then number six, what do we do with the void? Well, that's... That's when the darkness comes in, doesn't it? We start filling it with addictions and just substitution. And, you know, different people do different things with that void. 
and they begin to fill the void with addictions. And so this is the dark process of guilt. So what is God's resolution for it? I just want to, I want us to re- turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And I want to look at two verses in Hebrews very quickly. Hebrews chapter 9, and in verse 22 it says this, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. What this verse is saying that is that the very law that condemns us, the very law, and that law could actually be expectations that you have of yourself. That could be a law. Or that could be a law of expectations that other people have of you. That could be a law at your job or in your family. Or that law could also be the higher law, which is the law of Moses, which we have failed. And it says that the law here, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And I like that verse because what that verse is saying is, is that the blood purifies everything that the law could ever point out as a failure in our life. The blood cleanses that. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So the blood of Jesus Christ is something that cleanses us, that has been shed for us at a certain point in time in history, but also is continuing to plead our case. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, and this is the verse that I wanted to open up with, and let's just read this together. For when should they not have ceased to be offered? I want to look at the second part of the verse. For the worshiper is once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. I was thinking as we were worshiping this morning, you know, we were lifting our hands, and I was thinking, you know, we can do this today and not live in the consciousness of sins because the blood has been shed. I think that sometimes people can come to church and say, you know, I can't really sing these songs and I can't worship God because of all the bad things that I've done or the failures in my life. And the blood of Jesus Christ washes us from all of that. And so when you and I come to church and we have that intimidating feeling that I don't belong here or that I've sinned or that we're living in this emotional guilt, at that point what we need to do is say, you know what? The price has been paid for my sin. It's been paid for. And the condemnation and the consequence and the sentence the jail sentence or that sentence that should have fallen on me fell on Jesus Christ. And so today I am free. I am free from that sin. And I'm set free from that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we begin to apply that by faith, we say, you know what, I'm going to just raise my hand by faith and I'm just going to say, okay, God, uh, I don't rationally and logically understand this, but I'm just going to do this by faith because it happens. And I'm going to just believe it by faith, and I'm just going to trust you, God, and I'm going to do it. And when we step out in faith, God always meets us there. God always meets us there. And you'll know that whenever you've taken steps of faith in your life, I'm sure that many of us could, many of you could tell me this, that I stepped out when I didn't have the emotions, but when I stepped out, God brought in the provision. And so guilt is emotional. And that means it's something that resides in the soul. It's not spiritual. Guilt is not a spiritual thing. Guilt is 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 an emotional thing. Conviction is a spiritual thing. Conviction comes in and it says, I love you so much, you are so valuable, that you just don't belong in that situation. Come out of that situation. And I think that when you have someone speak to you that loves you and that values you and I, 
we can detect that. We have these antennas inside of us that can detect value and love, don't we? I think that uh, a wife or a husband can really, or especially wives, can really detect how when we say something, if there's love in that statement, even if the word love is in the sentence, but love is not in the is not in the in the intention. I think that there is an antenna inside of us that can detect that, whether we are really loved or not. And so I just want to finish with this: that that um, we cannot allow the devil to manipulate us because of things that have happened in the past. Because there's no conversion there. There's no change. There's no transformation. I mean, we can come up here, get behind this pulpit, and just yell at people about how bad they are and about what bad things they do. And that's not going to be transformational. What will be transformational is, is when we say, look, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no surprise there. There's no surprises when people fail. I mean, it's, you know, sinners will sin. And we don't want to make a place for sin, and I'm not saying that. But what we are saying is, is, that, is that the Bible tells us that our guilt has been paid for and that we no longer need to live in the emotional torment and the wounding and the driving. And, you know, like point number six, addictions, you know, when we try to fill that void, that can also be done by just... Um, performing, doing something. I, I know that, we said this yesterday at the, at the event, that you know, it's easier for me to be a very religious person than to be someone who is spiritual and that is, that is genuine. And so spirituality means that I'm not going to live in, in guilt and I'm not going to be a person that can be manipulated, but I am going to be someone that can be convicted by God and transformed. And I'll just finish with that, is that true true conviction and true transformation only comes through the Word of God. When the Word of God points to the new man inside of you and I that says, you are a new creation, old things are passed away. Whenever I counsel someone, I always like to begin with that verse, old things are passed away. Because many of us live in the guilt of our past. That's passed away. We cannot allow it to, you know, what's the new start that people need to know? They need to know that today is new. That today is new and that uh, we are new creations and old things are passed away. Forgetting those things which are behind us but pressing on towards the high calling of Jesus Christ. That calling. And so how do we deal? I'm just going to summarize this. How do we deal with illegitimate guilt or unresolved guilt? We just have to apply day after day the cross in our life that that is paid for, and I don't need to live in emotional, religious um, beating myself up or beating up other people. I just need to live in the fact that, you know, that's paid for. Because that's what's going to set people free in our relationships, not hanging things over them. And, you know, I think that the natural mind could say, well, what is to prevent a person from doing that again? And I think that in certain abusive circumstances, there has to be, there has to be uh, guidelines put in place because we're dealing with physical bodies. But on the spiritual realm and on the spiritual level, transformation and change always begins right here. Guilt does not change people. And I think that if we think that we could guilt people into change, that's not going to work. 
And that's what religion does. But what Jesus Christ does is He comes, He removes sin, He forgives us, and then He says, and He doesn't just stop there, He says, the blood now will cleanse you. And this is where healing comes into our life. Healing comes, healing comes from a bad self-image. Healing comes from uh, being guilty and lonely. I think that I think all of us have felt guilty and lonely at some point in our life, and we spent sense that that howling wind of loneliness in our soul. And that is because of the absence of God's love and the absence of understanding the finished work and the absence of God's value in our life. Knowing that God loves us, knowing that God accepts us, knowing that God has dealt with the hanging issue over our head, sets us free and brings us back into fellowship. In 2 Corinthians, and I, I, I don't want to get into it this morning, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, there are seven characteristics of true repentance. And in the end there, the last, the last, the result of that, it says, it talks about the clearing of ourselves. When a person truly is converted by God, you know, God, there's a verse that, there's a word there that Paul uses in the Greek language, and I was astounded this morning when I was reading this. It's shocking. I never saw it before. That when we understand true conversion and we allow God to lead us into a place of change, and that's what the word repent means. It just means a change of mind about the whole thing. Uh, when we understand true repentance, we're brought into a place of clarity. And that word clearing of ourselves in the Greek there, what that means is it's the word uh, agnos, which actually means holy. Not only holy and chaste, but also means as a virgin. That's the Greek word. That means if a person's messed up in their life, that verse tells us, that word tells us right there that they can be, that they are understanding the process of conversion. They are actually a virgin in God's eyes. That's what the Bible says. It's not me making this up. And I've heard people talk about this, that, you know, God makes us clean as a virgin. I've never been able to find a verse that, there it is right there, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11 and verse 12, that, he, that we are clear. Isn't that wonderful? That we don't need to live under guilt. We don't need to live under that, that emotional feeling. And when you and I start feeling guilty about ourselves or that we're not a good parent or that we, you know, that we failed our own expectations or others, we need to understand that, hey, listen, what law am I trying to live under anyway? If it's not the finished work and the royal law of love, then it's just going to be very burdensome. You know, yesterday when we were doing this, I woke up in the morning and I just thought, you know, this is going to be such a fun day. And I thought, there's two ways that we can do this day. We can either do it as like this heavy-duty program. There's a lot to do and get wiped out and at the end of the day just be really grumpy about the whole thing, and which I could do. Or I can just say, you know what, God is just going to bless this day there's nothing that we have to prove here. We just need to love people and just have a blast. And that's what we did because that's what God's love does. Amen? So let's just close in a word of prayer and 